welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two writer friends talk writing craft. <laughs> we talk writing craft. We, we talk writing book. We talk writing everything. Here on Good Writing Podcast, you are listening. Thank you. <laughs> In this episode, we talk about The Fellowship of the Ring and why I bought in so hard from the very first page. Mm-hmm. Silly. It's a cool episode. We talk about, you know, the book itself. We talk about Tolkien's uh, crazy cultures that he comes up with and how that, you know, can be an issue at times, but also how that leads to some really interesting value systems and characters. And generally, like, uh, kind of we also touch on why, like, do we like this because we like the movies or do we like this because it is its own thing? Right. It just again, my, the main takeaway here is if you can be, have your work adapted into famous movies before mm-hmm. anyone actually reads your work because they will come to it with, with very, very positive light. Yep. Okay. All right. That's cool. the episode. Enjoy the episode. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Ben. Hey Emily, how's it going, dude? Oh, it's so good. We finally have a you, just you and me episode. It's nice and cozy in here. Exactly. We've lit the fire. That fire is a roaring, and we are just hanging out by by the fireplace on the the bearskin carpet that we skinned ourselves. Yeah, I'm having a whiskey neat in this metaphor, um, <laughs> and we're just reflecting on our our past glory days. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm smoking a cigar and coughing a lot because I don't like cigars, but it's it's an aesthetic choice. <laughs> uh, hey, friend. How's life? How's writing? Oh, writing. That old thing? Um, <laughs> uh, writing is that I haven't done it in a minute, in all honesty, because I... I sent off a piece to be uh, to an editor that they are mm-hmm. that is in the publication process, and mm-hmm. after I did that, I took a note from your book and uh, have taken a little break for the past week or three. A um, little breaky boo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love to reward myself for finishing a goal by then undoing all of the good habits that I've worked very hard to build. Yeah. Yes, I do this with yeah. every submission. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, why are we like this? Yeah, I um, don't know, dude. <laughs> well, congrats on getting it in. I am also in the midst of my breaky boo. Um, but what I've been doing instead is various other creative projects. Um, nice. I find that um, refilling my creative tank elsewhere uh, still feels nice um, and oh, cool. still helps me be excited. One day I'll be excited about writing when the time comes. Um, so I've been painting a lemon. No. Check it out. Nice. That looks really good, dude. You you are a very Thanks. good painter. Okay. I appreciate Would you, you saying post that. that with the episode. Like maybe one there's... day. I, I'd like to yeah. finish it first, and I know okay. we only have a week at this point. <laughs> we'll, we'll see yeah. if I finish However the painting in time. Uh, the listeners should see it because Emily is, in addition to being a good writer, a really good painter. It's cool. Thanks, yeah. guys. I don't know about that. I just discovered this week that I've been destroying all my paintbrushes. I just truly was never, no one told me to like how to clean them correctly. So I was like at the sink in the middle of the night. My girlfriend was like, what are you doing with that soap? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get the... <laughs> getting out the paint. What do you mean? What am I doing? She was like, you have linseed oil right there. Um, anywho, I ruined all of my oil brushes uh, because I know no better. 
So, uh, yeah, but no writing, not, not a ton of writing for me either. Um, although I will say we didn't discuss it in depth because we had so many guests so many weeks in a row, but we were both quite successful at the 15 minutes a day for at least a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, so I do think we can go ahead and chalk that up as a win, yes. uh, and something that we can officially, of, officially podcast, good writing podcast recommended best practice. Yeah. Of accountability partner. Uh, just a small goal with someone holding you accountable seems to be very doable. Um, and that definitely gets the stamp of approval. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we did per the advice of my thesis advisor from, uh, our, our MFA program, Becca McKay, we set a goal of writing 15 minutes a day, every day, and we would just text each other, you know, 15 check mark, um, mm-hmm. or, uh, 15 swarm emoji. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was cool. I like that. Yeah, it's the little things. Yeah, fifteen One. slam on yeah, the exactly. iMessage. Um, yeah, that really worked for a minute. Yeah, yeah, uh, so much so that I think uh, we should start doing it again. Oh we'll no, this again. Yeah, no. At least I am definitely going to start trying to hold myself to texting you about it to make myself do it again. Uh, and, and eventually, I, if, if you text me enough days in a row, I'll start feeling embarrassed and start doing it so I can text you too. Well, that's what we will need then, so it'll it'll be good. Bring <laughs> on the shame. <laughs> All right, folks, if you would like to join me and Ben in our 15 minutes a day exercise, uh, we are mm-hmm. now six days ahead of you by the time this episode comes yes. out, so you better catch so, up. <laughs> so we're dominating. <laughs> we're killing it and you'll hear all about that next monday <laughs> if, if you want to tweet the number 15 at us every time that you um do successfully write for 15 minutes uh that, i think that could be something that we return with a thumbs up emoji um, i would too nothing would bring me pleasure like if our twitter dms were just full of letters one and five yeah, that that would be awesome, actually. Yeah, please let let us know if you do it. Just give us the fifteen, and we'll know what happened. Um, we'll know. Oh, we'll know. Hopefully, the cops don't look into it and start thinking it's some weird gang symbology or something. But I, I don't know. If I go down for the fifteen minutes a day ethos, <laughs> I went down doing what I love, <laughs> which was writing fifteen minutes a day and being like, no, right before <laughs> having to psych myself up. To no, do I it. don't want to. And then as soon as I'm on minute sixteen, I'm like, I. What do you mean? I have something else I have to do today. I'm really into this right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, I, I found a groove. <laughs> Spiddly diddly ding. We got listener mail. Yeah! <laughs> Shout out to Rick from Undisclosed Location in the UK um, yes. for emailing in. Uh, Rick m- mentioned a couple of our episodes, and specifically he mentioned our hottest, most contentious episode of all time, mm-hmm. which is our Chekhov and George Saunders episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in which, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to all of our back catalog, that is a highlight in my opinion. Um, yes. It is Ben and I have a true fundamental difference of opinion on this subject, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what makes... It was started by the question, what makes a story feel complete? But where we completely diverged was mm-hmm. how much should you account for and think about reader response potential reader response while you're writing and in expectation yeah yeah yes uh we have a huge difference of opinion on this and shout out to rick for bringing yet another perspective to it ben do you have it pulled yeah. up 
Yes, I do. Um, here, I'll, I'll read his second paragraph. Um, uh, I think, uh, Richard says that, I think I used to be more in line with Ben's represent yourself, don't think about the reader approach. And I was really glad to hear him make that de defense as I agree that applying strict rules to writing ends up with everyone following the same approach. But ultimately, I think I am now closer to Emily's model. Certainly, as soon as I, as a piece I am writing gets past the point of being something I have scribbled down and actually begins to remble, resemble a quote-unquote story, by that point, I don't think I can stop from thinking on some level about how a potential reader will interpret it. This doesn't necessarily mean that I am interested in fulfilling their expectations, but that I am at least keeping one eye on what those expectations might be. Which I, I think is a very great point, Rick. Um, and thank you for contributing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, ben and I will just go down wrestling on this one. We are never... 100%. We are never compromising. Neither of us are ever compromising. Ben thinks you should not think about the reader whatsoever while you are writing. Um, mm -hmm. Only in a clarity edit on, on the final revision. Yeah. And I think that fundamentally we as artists have a responsibility to change people's minds and expand them. Um, mm -hmm. and it makes my art moralistic um, and kind of bad in some ways. I don't, I don't agree. It doesn't make it bad by any means. Like, no way. We're just uh, going to rehash this, this argument like every uh, dozen episodes or so. I, I, I will say just in response to Rick himself, uh, something that he says um, that I think is a very good point and something that I, I find relatable and I, I think adds a wrinkle to maybe how I think about this sort of thing. Um, is that the, when he says that this doesn't necessarily mean that he's interested in fulfilling their expectations, but keeping an eye on what they might be. I, mm -hmm. I think that is a very useful technique and a very useful craft lesson and, and something that is absolutely going to um, be worth something, especially if you are writing things that um, deal in terms of plot and, like, a, as far as, like, what the reader knows about, like genre convention if you're dealing with genre convention or what the reader just knows about the like the physics of drama which definitely have like a certain push and pull to them that we can all be aware of um and i think keeping their expectations in mind in relation to things like that makes a really good point because you can either choose to fulfill or not fulfill those expectations which is an interesting thing i think to to approach this with okay ben how can a writer better understand how he thinks readers who aren't himself will interpret his work oh like i think how do you know what reader expectations are yeah well i will of course say that you don't you never <laughs> right um, I, I will say that you, you but you do but the thing that we all do have expectations of um, it is the operation of story itself and the way in which um, things like plot and character are presented within fiction. Specifically, I'm thinking within fiction. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when we create things that are not real, they, by, by that definition, are required to follow certain sets of rules and patterns that we understand as being kind of the underlaying how stories are told and having an understanding of those expectations and what they are is very valuable to any kind of writing especially if you are trying to write something that follows narrative and, and structure in those manners like that that is always those are expectations that you can come it's not so much expectations of what the reader brings as an individual but expectations that we kind of know about fiction and fictionalization as a form Sure. So do you get that 
by reading more kinds of stories yourself? Do you get that by yeah. interviewing others? Do you get that by like, what, how do you get that? Reading. You, you get it through through reading, uh, like reading lots of books, watching TV, watching movies, I think can give you the same thing because like, you know, narrative forms are still narrative forms, even if they're presented differently there. Um, like, you, any sort of, you know, widely read person, like, I, I don't know if you found this as you've gotten older and experienced more and more like fictional things, but I know that I have where it's like, you can start watching something and you know where it's going to go. Like, sometimes yeah. I'll start, like, I'll encounter, like, you know, a sci-fi thing, especially if it's genre-based. You, you Like, 15 minutes in, I can get, get a reasonable idea of, like, oh, that guy that's, he's trying to help the most, so that means that that's the bad guy. And, and like, just certain yeah. kind of conventions that, that we end up um, understanding through experiencing them so many times. Okay, but here's an experience that I'm thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. You know when you're, like, in a workshop... And you're partway through the semester, partway through the year, and the thought occurs to you while you're reading or writing or like submitting something for a workshop even, oh, Daniel's going to say whatever about this. Where you're just mm -hmm. like, that one guy in my workshop is hung up on, on X and Y. Whatever thing. Yeah. Like, I had that so many times about various people in our MFA program and undergrad mm -hmm. and my various writing clubs. Mm -hmm. Um and it was really valuable, although I can't think of any off the top of my head, though. <laughs> so, like, clearly they didn't stick with me. Um, mm -hmm. hmm. Like, I, I think that that can be very helpful in a workshop setting, but it's like, if you're writing with the intention of publishing, like, you're not going to know who the readers are for the most part. Like, beyond those people that you already know, that you, like, personally know that are going to read it. So, yeah. and I, I think that, I think that that instinct that you're talking about came from, like, being in workshop with these people for you know years like having them having heard them give comments not just on your stories but like you know fifth two stories per person in a class of like 10 people every semester if not mm -hmm. more than one class so you you know what they like and what their taste is as a reader whereas like the the imagined outer reader that we don't know who knows what their taste is like i don't know what they like yeah yeah I, I just, I'm thinking of like, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was like, absolutely would drive them crazy if the thing leading up to dialogue served the same thing as the dialogue served. So like if, if like the description, the scene description or whatever it is before the dialogue, like described, like she was wearing black and then the dialogue is like, what a pretty black dress or something. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was, but I remember somebody just like absolutely derailing a fucking workshop to be about to talk about how much that thing is just there, like the thing that drives them craziest in the world. Um, but you know what? It I didn't make that particular mistake after I watched mm -hmm. our classmate get absolutely eaten. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. No, one hundred percent. I I think that that's useful, but I. Like I was saying, I think that's a function of the workshop, right? Like, mm -hmm. or at least that feels like that's what's engendering that ability, not, you, not like the concept of having a reader. If the, if I'm understanding where we're going with this correctly. Yeah, I think that. that's yeah, more of like, like a fellow writers' um, pet peeves thing yeah. than like how readers will interpret larger yeah. structural issues. And your fellow writers, when you stick them in a room uh, together um, that they don't necessarily want to be in every time they're there and, and tell them to, like, you know, critique each other's stories, uh, that We're gonna... goes to some places, yeah. <laughs> the pet peeves will spread the gamut. 
you will be mm-hmm. shocked how many things can be pet peeves. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I, I totally get what you're talking about that exists. I know that my thing in the, like, ooh, let's share what our things were for that. Cause I'm sure you know what yours was. Like, I had so many. I'm, yeah. I had so, so many. You first. My, mine was always when people revealed too much information as would mm. like, I feel like that's a comment I gave a lot. That's always something that I would just be like, this could have, you already had the mystery. You didn't need to explain it. Cause I felt, cause I felt like I understand the end of the mystery from the mystery as it was presented. Like, and it was mm. fine that you weren't saying it directly. And then they say it directly. And I'm like, well, that just broke it for me. Mine is too many mysteries at once. Um, was something that always drove me crazy mm-hmm. or like when it felt like someone was like withholding information because they didn't trust that the information was interesting enough mm-hmm. like to withhold information does not make it more interesting mm-hmm. to hold withhold in- information does not make it worthy of it being a mystery mm-hmm. um and to do that repeatedly is just like really takes me out of a story just really frustrates me and makes it feel like it's an undeveloped draft rather than an intentional well well-constructed yeah. Yeah, actual yeah. thing, like an intentional yeah. thing, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I think it's interesting to try to con- like being in that scenario of considering the uh, the when you have the reader right there in the room with you, it's a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like our our fundamental difference of opinion is still mm-hmm. is so different in a workshop group with other writers than it mm-hmm. would be if just everyday readers were reading your work yeah yeah like what writer pet peeves do you need to fear (laughs) otherwise your workshop will be derailed for 25 minutes (laughs) (laughs) well i mean like sometimes you just had to worry about like who's the professor leading this workshop not to just talk tea like i'm not going to mention names but we both know the person that i'm probably that i'm referring to mm-hmm. um and that that sometimes you could just uh, end up uh, not talking about your story at all because you said the wrong name of a tree and now Did... we're gonna be talking about baseball for the next 45 minutes uh, were you there for the coffins versus caskets day no oh, i don't remember the coffins versus caskets day it was like one of them's nailed shut and the other one like opens on the side and you can like do a viewing in it mm-hmm. and she used the wrong one and that was that was the day like that, there it went the coffins versus caskets day <laughs> but i would never make that mistake again like now i know if i'm gonna submit like i'm gonna google that before <laughs> uh, anyway mm-hmm. but thank you rick thank you for writing in Yes, Rick, thank you for writing in. And if anyone else would like to send us um, something that we can just spit on for 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> we would love to engage with you. Please email us at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Ben, our marquee topic for the day, what I have mm-hmm. sent you is mm-hmm. the first page of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the ring so the the first first page of the entirety of the lord of the rings this is how the whole damn rigmarole begins the trilogy well i mean arguable right because the hobbit Hobbit, yeah and also there's a prologue here that i just haven't read (laughs) and and, and technically the cimmerillion and yes so that's actually kind of like the heart of what i want to talk about today okay um i had not previously read the fellowship of the ring um Mm -hmm. I 
stumbled upon it at a thrift store. By the way, I got this for a dollar. Um, <laughs> good thrift find. Good thrift find. In good condition, too. Um, got this for a dollar at the thrift store. Um, and I have, have... We read the, the Return of the King for a class in grad school, but I actually had not read The Fellowship of the Ring before. So here I was. I thought, let me just like give it a go. Um, and I bought in immediately. And my question for us today on the pod is why? Why did I immediately buy into this? Was it craft techniques on the page? Or was it because of all of the other media that I had already consumed about The Lord of the Rings? Mm. Was it because you already liked The Lord of the Rings to a certain extent? Because I'm assuming that you do like the movies. Am I correct in that? Absolutely, or... absolutely do I like okay, the movies. Cool. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. They're, they're awesome. Like, they're they're, fucking they're masterpieces, so, yeah. and everyone yeah. involved took them very seriously. <laughs> yeah, which is the only reason why they work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's my question for us today. Why did I immediately buy into this? Mm-hmm. And before I launch into any theories, um, Ben, first impressions on the first page of The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, the, the first page of The Fellowship of the Ring uh, is I love for the same reason that I, my favorite part of all three of the Lord of the Rings movies, which I also like all of, is the, ser- is the part set in the Shire at the very beginning. That's still really? my, my favorite part of all three of those movies is the peaceful, bucolic setting, like basically the short film that goes up into the point when they leave like and he's like this is the farthest i've ever been away from home like all of that is such an interesting like micro story within the greater tale itself and, and I, I love it for all those reasons because you know it just it's right away bringing you into this character um it's bringing you into kind of like his place in the world that he exists in and it does all of this kind of without mentioning that he is magical. It says that he's mm. gone on adventures, but we don't know that magic, like, we don't know that magic exists at this point in the story. But we do know that, you know, vaguely it's like, okay, he's this guy. He's gone and gotten adventures and supposedly got rich once he's come back. Like, And it's just a great scene setting. Go ahead. You're so right. Like, so, I think the first, you know section of the films too and frankly by the way they were still in the goddamn shire halfway through this 450 page book like (laughs) i was like can you get on the road like this is urgent like people are gonna die (laughs) we gotta meet tom bombadil the the grand god grandpa of the forest (laughs) what are we doing having one final friend group dinner like get on the road such good meals (laughs) i know i was very happy for them um yeah but in that whole section in this first half of this novel like there's very limited there's no reason to believe that it will be as epic Mm -hmm. swords armies Mm -hmm. you know fate of the world as it is Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's just a quiet pretty quiet beginning with Mm -hmm. very i think whimsical and well-developed character dynamics. Like, I hear so much about the petty disagreements with the Sackville that Baggins is here (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. that it does, if it does also, I think, set the tone for how, uh, frankly, indulgent the rest of the book is too. Like, the rest of the book is not getting efficiently to the fight scenes, you know? Yeah. I am 
350 pages into a 450 page book and there has not been a fight scene yeah no um so it does i think set set reader expectations really well for like how whimsical and there is fanciful magic happening Mm -hmm. but it's gonna be about relationships (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. let me read the beginning Mm -hmm. of the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring by J.R.R. tolkien chapter one a long expected party when Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special significance, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Okay, so we have a named title character. Mm-hmm. We have, like, an event coming up that seems maybe magical. 111st birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly we just have, like, Okay, we're gonna do social dynamics. <laughs> this yeah. like made up people is what we're gonna do. Yeah, There's exactly. talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Um, Bilbo was very rich and very peculiar, he, and he had been the wonder of the Shire for sixty years, ever since his rem- remarkable disappearance and unexpected return. The riches he had brought, blah 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 blah. Um, there was also his prolonged vigor to marvel at. Time wore on, would had little effect on Mister Baggins. At ninety, he was mu- he he was much the same as at fifty. At ninety nine. They began to call him well-preserved, but unchanged would have been nearer the mark. Um, It will have to be paved for, they said. It isn't natural, and trouble will come of it. But so far, trouble had not come. He was generous with his money, and blah, blah, blah. And here's like a dynamic of the Sackville Bagginses, and the eldest was Frodo was his favorite. And here's every single person who's coming to the party. (laughs) Then they proceed to do a giant laundry list of hobbits who you never hear about again. Never hear about these (laughs) hobbits again. You do not actually need to know the Sackville Bagginses. (laughs) You don't. It's such an interesting... It shows what Tolkien, like, really cared about. It is, like you said, character relationships and world are the mm-hmm. two things that Tolkien gives, that he cares about in the entire, like, series, are, are character relationships and world. And because of that, he is so willing to just write on end about things that are not continued re- continue to be relevant after they are on the page. Something comes up, and that's the only time you see it. That happens a lot throughout the series. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing about Gaffer. I'm hearing, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing about what it's like to go boating in the Brandywine ri- dump and river, and I, I literally I keep writing exposition dump, and then I gave up on myself and stopped noting exposition dumps. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He has just really tone is I think what's important to him here. Like I'm getting nothing but like whimsical. Aren't these aren't these people fanciful and interesting? Is is mm-hmm. all is what I'm getting out of this. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, and that's something we talked about. Is like, is something directly tone? Yeah, yeah. I think this might this might be it, folks. Like, he he mm-hmm. he got through it by way of like sociological world building, but mm-hmm. like that's all I'm getting is tone. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think that's fair because like you know like in the history of the Lord of the Rings as a thing, it's like it it was he wanted to make up languages and was doing that first and then found a place to put them and part of the reason for it is because he you know as a linguist he understood that lang or at least i don't know if this is inherently true but something that he believed was that languages need history in order to exist 
Mm -hmm. Like, that's part of how a language is built. So in order to support his imaginary languages, he had to make up histories and contexts for them to exist within. Like... This man is such a freak. I love him. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a crazy choice. Um, <laughs> what a guy. Um, and what's your relationship with the Lord of the Rings? Um, that I like the Lord of the Rings a lot. Um, I love the movies. I, I, I'm definitely into the movies as a thing. Um, another thing that, um, I got more into with Fran, uh, than I was before. I always thought it was like, this is fine. Like I always, I, you know, saw all the movies in theaters when they came out, but I kind of revisited them with her. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's nice. Um, but it's just like, you know, I read, um, when I found out we were going to read Return of the King for the class, I was like, oh, Okay. I'm going to be a nerd about this. I'm going to read the first two because I've never read any of them. I read mm. The Fellowship of the Ring, and I said, that will be enough for now. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I did not read The Two Towers. Um, yeah, and I and uh, spoilers, I did not really read The Return of the King. Um, I, I, it was, my memory of Return of the King was, like, very different totally from... The Fellowship okay. of the Ring, rightfully yeah. so, because it's yeah. an epic. It's a th it's yeah. a trilogy. It needs to feel like things are progressing, and yeah. tone should be one thing that changes alongside yeah. that. But, um, yeah, the Return of the King was like there were delightful little moments, but it was much more earnest. Not, mm. I don't know if earnest is the right. It was, you know, more the battle scenes, nobility, and um, the and 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 mourning too. The Return to yeah. the Shire is is super super tragic yeah yeah that's true I, I always forget about that that it ends way like there's a battle at the shire at the end of the book like yeah, yeah sharky yeah, that's yeah yeah um, yeah let's save that for if i actually read the rest of the trilogy um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so ben do you ever play dungeons and dragons uh, I, I've dabbled a little bit, but never very seriously. I know you're more of a player of it than I, I am. I love it yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> I've finally started DMing a few times. So I was like trying to, I could not square the philosophy of like good settings to start your mm -hmm. players and, and start the story together when multiple people are playing as their own playable characters. I simply cannot square my best practices for where to start a story when you're the dm and mm. how much i still liked the beginning of this extremely indulgent and slow the fellowship of the rings mm. um okay. so in dungeons and dragons like you meet in a tavern is is like the cliche you know like that's mm -hmm. an easy place that's to where meet. adventures start yeah you meet mm -hmm. in a tavern all of you separately got invitations to go like do some quest and you're going to be a ragtag group who hasn't met before um mm -hmm. i like to start my dungeons and dragons group by not meeting for the first time in the tavern but saying you met in the tavern last night you two got too drunk you told her a secret what did you tell her mm, okay that's cool you two uh you there's something that there's someone who you really don't want to see who is it and would you tell this other person if you got drunk last night and and were gossiping would you tell them who it is that you don't want to run into so like giving them prompts to think more about their character and also to like establish a little bit more character dynamics before you actually make them like pretend to be a made up character alive. Right. <laughs> um, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun dynamic and it make, makes people like kind of get into the headspace and also just like the mm -hmm. faster that you can get over the awkward, am I going to do a silly voice 
internal question for everyone, you know, <laughs> the better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they do meet in a tavern. Um, yeah. The uh, I, I just kept being like, okay, I could see a D&D adventure starting at this moment. Yeah. But then I could just see it do all of this in backstory and start way later. And yet I, and I, I usually am a believer of like, if you can have all that backstory happen off stage and just start here, mm-hmm. generally speaking, you should. Um, mm-hmm. If it doesn't need to be on stage, it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, it works here, <laughs> like in the Fellowship of the Ring. So um, what what worked? Well, what made you like? <sighs> like, what did you notice then that, that was like this is working for me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it starts with like, Bilbo Baggins is throwing a birthday party where he's gonna prank the whole Shire. Uh, spoilers, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> upcoming everyone. <laughs> if you haven't. Spoilers for a. What, God, 70, almost 100-year-old book at this point? (laughs) Hey, folks, spoilers. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Bilbo Baggins is throwing this birthday party, and he's going to prank the entire Shire at once, and Mm -hmm. he's just going to disappear and go on um, his, like, final adventure. He's been been wanting to, you know, go see his old sites. Um, And he does, and it succeeds, and then Mm -hmm. he goes away. And then um, a huge difference between the book and the movies by the way is that frodo that night like chats with gandalf and gandalf kind of starts to realize this is probably the one ring that frodo has Mm, and then they wait 17 years (laughs) do you remember this it's 17 years so gandalf that night is like oh my fucking god it might be the one ring and Frodo's like, okay, let me know what to do with that information. And then 17 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh Gandalf comes back. And he's like, can you, can you, we actually have to, actually now all of a sudden this is a crisis. (laughs) It's 17 years later. And Frodo spends the meantime going on walks in the twilight you know like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. being slightly wondering what would it be like to leave my hometown mm-hmm. <laughs> for 17 years yeah <laughs> for 17 years so he's not 33 the coming of age age for hobbits when this when he leaves he's 50 um, okay yeah yes yeah. <laughs> okay. okay but yeah so okay but so it still worked just... i was like i mean this i feel like uh if if the normal writing advice would be like, can you make the story more efficient? Why doesn't he leave that night? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it worked. Having the 17 year, you know, like wander mm-hmm. around and think, uh, well, wanderlust years where he doesn't actually go anywhere. Okay. So what, what was, was what was interesting to you about that? The fact that you don't usually see this happen or that, that it's like, you know, that, that it felt different from what you normally read in, the, in like the fantasy genre space or in just stories mm-hmm. in general, or it did you like, yeah, go ahead. Must be in part. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think too, mm-hmm. like Tolkien, this book is so much more willing to just, put it on the page like than other books mm-hmm. are like mm-hmm. there is jack shit is referenced like they tell it like they're yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> oh rivendell 
like, let me give you a five-page epic song about <laughs> Karaka, about Strider's uncle. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he just puts, he, there is nothing in the notes, you know? <laughs> he puts it, mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. like he puts it all on the page, but obviously there was a ton left in the notes that didn't make the cut, because he wrote the Cimmerillion. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the weird thing, especially because it, well, now, now I'm just kind of thinking on that is like, is it maybe even because like, even despite how much there is on the page, it still technically did obey that rule of saying like, oh no, this is not all there is. There was a whole first stage of Middle Earth that you kn- that is only referenced in these songs that like half the people that read the book don't even read. Myself like, included, by the way, like yeah. fully guilty. Um yeah. Totally I'm fair. not totally trying fair. to become a Tolkien histor- historian here. Yep, yep. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's... It, I find it interesting because it's like, I, I would definitely, like, my enjoyment... Like, I did enjoy aspects of that book when I read it. And, and I did, like, you know... You know, there are definitely parts that really work. But it's definitely, I think, can be defi- be described as being a really meandering novel. In, yes. in, in a lot of ways. Like, it takes its time, like you're saying. Like, yeah. Yes. And I I do think there are some parts that are like meandering in a way that doesn't work for me. Like I, mm-hmm. there were some parts I was skimming, you know, and looking at yeah. how long is left we, in this chapter. We um, just mentioned the songs and how those are not read. Like yeah. Yes. Um. But there, I I feel like something that just really works is, uh, a good writing best practice is to take. Mm characters who don't feel like they belong in a location mm-hmm. right and just put mm-hmm. them somewhere weird right so like yeah y- you're uh uh a, 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 your niece at a corporate meeting you know <laughs> or okay. yeah. like and he does a lot of that yeah that's and this true. this yeah. kind of follows that right because it's the yeah. hobbits who are not who like are you know they're noble in their own way or whatever but they're not meant mm. to be on this international travel <laughs> um <laughs> they, they and, should not be in the fellowship of the ring they're, they're they are they feel out of place yeah yeah and maybe part of the reason why i like the opening here is because it's like bilbo doesn't you know there are some things about bilbo that makes him not fit in and mm-hmm. obviously not fit in in the shire right it starts by talking about like uh, he's suspiciously unchanged, unaged, suspiciously mm-hmm. so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also a prankster, and the rest of the Shire doesn't really pull pranks. They're all very... Uh, <laughs> they're, they're cool. I like them, but they don't have a strong sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they, they are kind of... They're, they're stodgy, yes. might be the right word. Yeah, like, They're very, you know... Uh, country boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's even in, like, the lower stakes settings, like the Shire, Bilbo's mm-hmm. birthday party, and all of the, like, mm-hmm. god dang, I, le- I learned so much about, like, Bilbo's, who he was inviting, and how the, mm-hmm. like, RSVPs were returned, and... Um... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the quills that were used and how those were formed, like, yeah. Yeah, the little kids, like, waiting around, hoping that he would, you know, give them tips, <laughs> and then he does give a tip to little children for being outdoors near his house. Um, 
even even in like the lower stakes settings it's still following the like well what's one intriguing thing happening here basic rules like bilbo yeah. is a much bigger personality than this area is used to basic mm. rules so, mm-hmm. like, do you feel that the characters in The Lord of the Rings, of, of which there are a lot, it, it's a so really, really big cast, um, do you think of the characters as being well-drawn characters? I can't answer that question, because the having watched the films three times totally over... poisons it, yeah. Totally, I cannot identify. Mm. Is it mm. craft on the page that is making me, you know, feel like he's so well-developed, or is it because I already am familiar with him? Well, and it's like, but then the the question remains, those movies are very good, and and the characters feel very lovable, like you feel like you know Gimli, Gandalf is amazingly portrayed by Ian McKellen, and I wonder, it's like, is it possible for it to be that way if that's not there in the source material to a certain extent, at least? Right. I find that interesting, and, and I guess it just leads me to the question of, like, that I guess we've been kind of dancing around, is like, is this good writing I, I, like, <laughs> it's also so deeply influential to like the rest of fantasy like you can't escape Tolkien's shadow mm-hmm. it, it's always there so. I mean as a Dungeons and Dragons player like I can't yeah. I have a lot of touch points yeah. for what is yeah. happening in this book um, yeah. yeah it is it is subject matter inescapable but I, this tone is so different than I expected Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I think the imagery and you know basic concepts have been modeled a lot, but like I yeah. don't think that other fantasy stories are written like this this way. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Be yeah, go ahead. This yeah. feels sociological and whimsical. Like is how mm-hmm. this feels. This is a study of like different societies <laughs> more so yeah. than anything else. When you say sociological, yeah, let, let's go on that a little bit more. What, what, what are you thinking of when, you, when you're saying sociological? Yeah, He's created different, like, I think it is one thing that's, like, not admirable is that he's, like, equated creatures with different bodies yeah. with having yeah. certain societies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, uh, not ideal. Like, let's put that aside. For, yeah. D- 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 all, I'm not the first or the only person to ever yeah. have these criticisms. So, like, let's yeah. table all the, like, it seems kind of potentially racist. Like it is. Like, yes. yes. Yeah. Let's just <laughs> that, that agreed. Yeah. Re- I, I retweet whatever criticism you guys want to send, like, send me about. Yeah. It. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So not great that he's equating like creatures with different body types with having certain societies. Yeah. But he did create a ton of different societies. Yeah. In order yeah. to see how they would interact. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's a study not of, like, is Frodo a brave person? But it seems to me more of a study of, like, is Frodo, who's representative of mm-hmm. a society with these the, with the following values, what would yes. he, he insa- like, how, 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 what would that, someone with those values from that society do in this context? Yeah, the, the characters bring their, bring their representational qualities with them, like, yeah. into their into their adventures and it's what like it seems like a lot of the the interpersonal relations rise from to a certain extent like the elves don't like the dwarves that's a big deal kind of thing that they don't get along like yeah yeah Yeah. and it's in part a lot of what i think is interesting in this first section is he's exploring like 
how geoc like what constructions social and physical cause mm-hmm. the hobbits to value what they value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like it's an agrarian society they value yeah. hard work and then resting <laughs> right mm-hmm. um yeah mm-hmm. it's a uh it's a lot of like who's coming to your tea who's coming to lunch like mm-hmm. long like slow paced rolling hills slow paced uh yeah, I, I think it's, and when I say it's sociological, I think it's about, like, what makes a society value what it values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right to say that you don't see that a lot in, in, like, a lot of writing, because that's extremely hard to do. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it also, like, at some point you will make some mistakes that are flat yes. and not fully thought through the way that Tolkien yes made creature like is racist yeah exactly when when we take that it's like oh orcs sure are black people and then that leads into it's all that that all the horrible things that fall out of that like yeah yeah or even just fundamentally that like hobbits are each of these types of creatures are so subscribed to their social yeah. values is mm-hmm. suspect you know like yeah. there's very little diversity of thought within the different creature types yeah it's so we are this we are all this and that leads it to you know like for which i, I kind of guess brings it back to the character idea because then it's like it's the societies or the characters themselves and then you know we have their representative except for human beings who all get to be different but like yeah the then we, um, you know, then, then that is where that kind of, like, those are the conflicts that are represented through the characters rather than through individual character personalities coming to conflict a lot of the time. But there is that, too. Yeah, yeah I do feel like there are, like, of the four hobbits, mm-hmm. they do have mm-hmm. varying degrees of personality, right? Yeah. Like, Pippin will be more vocal about, like, oh, it sucks that we're not allowed to, a fire, allowed to light a fighter and have a nice meal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But none of them are like, I disagree with what you're saying. Like, they have different personalities with the same value system, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anywho, so I still have not identified, like, is it the opening specifically? Why I Mm -hmm. bought bought in so hard and was like, Mm -hmm. buckle up, let's spend this dollar at this thrift store. Okay. Okay. Um, I still can't really say for sure. Like, if it was... Would I have found this indulgent, meandering, whimsical tone mm-hmm. good if I didn't already have all the t- cultural touch points? If I if I didn't already know there would be a really epic boss fight where like yeah. the ladies like I am no man, right? Like mm-hmm. if I didn't know that that was coming, would I have given this a chance? I don't know, but I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I bought in. <laughs> yeah. I think that says a lot for the uh, the advantages of buy-in and, and just having that already. Because especially with something like this, Lord of the Rings, it's a weird series, man. It, it's, uh, they're, they're strange books. Uh, can... Yeah. Uh, also, just like as a detour, um, some really, really moving quotes, though. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, not all those who wander are lost. Did you know that that was from the Lord of the Rings? I didn't know that, no. <laughs> yeah, not all those who wonder are lost. It's something that Bilbo Baggins wrote in this song. 
Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, there's there's this quote. Um, what's the comedian who did Inside? Uh, oh, Bo Burnham, yeah. Bo Burnham. He's got, from Inside, there's a song that's like, uh, in a quote from Lord of the Rings, incorrectly attributed to Martin Luther King. Yeah. Totally not all those who wonder are lost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's this quote later. Um, it's like Boromir when they're like stuck in the snow and Boromir's and they, they're trying to like figure out how to get out of the snow and Boromir says, When heads are at a loss, bodies must serve, as they say in my country. And I'm like, that's a good fucking quote. That's a good quote. Like you don't get to like a pithy little thing like that without a really well-developed like not just like mythology as in like we believe in this story but like value system like how these cultures think is really well developed yeah yeah the the yeah, I, I think that's absolutely like probably because that's the thing that people think about most often in Lord of the Rings, right? Is the you know maybe a few individual character moments when it comes to the movies, but in the thing itself, it's it's the world. It, it, it's the this entire the fact that he has this giant space and he's drawn all the maps and made up the languages and, and gone into such minute detail onto what this place is that you can't help but have interesting people kind of fall out of it a little bit because they're going to be within that context. Like, yeah. 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 Mm. So, I don't know. I think the buy-in for me is helped mm-hmm. by having all those touch points. Yeah. But I do also think this is delightfully whimsical yeah. and perhaps indulgent, mm-hmm. but really different from what I'm used to seeing while still... Yeah eventually i know it's going to deliver on um, in epic proportions Mm -hmm. Hmm. okay so i don't know how i would turn this into a writing exercise other than just like have your story get released as a three-part cultural phenomenon (laughs) film series before you publish the book that's my first recommendation (laughs) Yeah, be relatively unknown at the time of its publication, and then for some reason in the 60s and 70s, hippies get really into it, and it blows up in the counterculture. Um, Mm. Yeah, like... Mm. Yeah, Uh, that's my first recommendation, is to be discovered before you are judged. (laughs) Um. Yeah, that's good advice. Everyone should do that, for sure. But also just like... I don't know. I think something Papatia said in her MFA was like, what would happen if you stayed in that sentence longer? Like, where else would that go if you just developed that one little sentence? Stayed in it. Where else would that go? Follow it to a surprising place. Like, the opening of this 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 whole series is not just like, Bill Bill Baggins was a suspicious, <laughs> was suspicious by Hobbit standards, but like, mm-hmm. and he was throwing this intricate party so he could throw an intricate prank. <laughs> Right? Like, <laughs> that's how we dis- discover that the ring, the one ring exists, right? Is mm-hmm. a, a weird old man wants to throw a prank. And let's hear about who he invited and how he demanded the RSVPs be sent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I do think that's really delightful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there definitely is a lot to be said for seeing where it goes. Like, just letting something be and, and then just, you know, really sit with that. What, what does it mean to have this character in this place at this time? Like, how, 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 how important can you make that? Yeah, and it feels so, it felt so, like, plausible because it was, mm-hmm. like, really thinking through, okay, how would this weird old man, Bilbo Baggins, mm-hmm. reveal that this ring exists? Like, how would he do it? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, he wants to throw a prank. How does he want to, how does he want to make the prank? How's mm-hmm. he going to get everyone at the prank? Like, mm. You know, just to to really sit with, like, okay, but how would that character do that? Mm. Was really charming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, those are my thoughts on the beginning of the <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that this in. It's it's such an interesting thing to talk about the Lord of the Rings, like <sighs> as a book, like a, as a piece of writing. I I think that it doesn't get discussed as that a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I think, I mean, you and I referenced it in our world building episode as an example of like pretty rough delivery of world building at Mm -hmm. times, like just Mm -hmm. like characters totally stopping the scene to be like, well, have you heard of the minds of Moria? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, It's a pet, it's something that's happening that I just like, is it was once a pet peeve of mine is like characters would like, he clearly just wants to give you the exposition. And so he just makes a character asking question. Oh, Gandalf, what does that mean? And then there's a four page. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So definitely not a wholehearted endorsement of every single thing happening in here, but the characters do feel really real. Yeah. There's something to be said, especially for that, for for how, how, like, I think your point really stands uh, of that they, they very much come from a set of values and that value system is really as to who they are and that that leads to some really interesting stuff for sure yeah Um, yeah. cool so other than that do you have anything that you would like to recommend my recommendation this week is to google how to clean your paintbrushes before you ruin (laughs) all of your paintbrushes Uh, because i have ruined all of my paintbrushes in my whole life (laughs) until yesterday (laughs) Uh, so just a little bit more of googling is am i doing this right uh for your household tasks it's my recommendation (laughs) Uh, yeah ben what's your recommendation this week something that brought you joy um i'm going to second a recommendation that most film critics are giving at this point and that is that everyone should see everything everywhere all at once you're talking about uh, you have not heard about this movie yet? Um, no, I'm offline. What, what are you talking okay. about? Okay, this is... It's directed by the directing duo that no, that goes by Daniels. Um, it, it's two people. Um, they did the movie Swiss Army Man. Did you ever see I did. that? That was Yes, the so Swiss Army Man is um, Peter... Pa- Peter... <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Um, and his... He's a corpse. And yeah. Like this other character uses this corpse to escape the jungle, yeah. um, including did, did you like, like 
Yeah, it was it was bizarre. Daniel Radcliffe's okay. doing some weird movies. I had a good time, but it, it includes like using the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe as like a boat that farts to <laughs> propel it. <laughs> that's the thing that you have to be bought into. If that sounds cool to you, then you will like um, Swiss Army Man. Yeah. But there are people that that is not cool to, and I totally get not being into that movie. Um, because it's like, if you don't think that that sounds funny, then you won't like it, and that makes sense to me. Yeah. But this movie is a movie about the multiverse. Um, let me just bring up the cast. Hold on. Uh, it's got a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's because it's excellent. Uh, oh, it, it's, big promises. It, it, st- it stars uh, Michelle Yeoh um, as Evelyn Wong, and it is a story about she's trying to do her taxes is how it is described (laughs) and ends up falling kind of into this storyline that has a bunch of alternate universes versions of her that she has to inhabit in order to take on their skills the plot is explained better in the movie that i'm doing here don't worry so much about that because what it is is a beautiful rumination on what it means to be alive and how painfully difficult that is, and how despite that, that every that there is so much joy in the world. I am not a person that cries during movies. That is not usually my reaction to a movie. I spent the last 20 minutes of this movie sobbing. <laughs> it is, and, and those were sometimes tears of sadness. They were sometimes tears of joy. It, it is a truly beautiful film. Uh, one of, I, I will go as far to say that it is one of the best movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Ben, you've seen a like, lot of movies. I, I have seen a lot of movies, and as someone who is almost 30, usually you don't get that experience anymore, but I, I was touched by this movie. I, I thought, this is an excellent film that is absolutely worth your time. It's two and a half hours long and earns every single fucking minute. Like That's a long movie, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is great. I highly recommend you see it. Like, 100%. Okay. Shit. I guess I'll get my tickets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this was this episode of The Good Writing Podcast. Um, Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got something short for us, we Ben and I are on Twitter at GoodWritingPod. And if you would like to join our listener mailbag segment, which, thank you, Rick, mm-hmm. we have now started, mm-hmm. we are at GoodWritingPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. See you on Monday. Bye. See you on Monday. Monday, Monday. Monday.